Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical Podcast. This one will be fun because I've known Chris for a while. We've been in some groups and it's been fun to watch his entrepreneurial journey continue to blossom. So you're in for a treat. So Chris, you are out in public and you are making an umpteenth run to the lows where you have this love-hate relationship with them (laughs) (laughs) and you spend too much money there, but you're back. And I think they may have even put a little parking spot on, you know, at the Huntersville Lowe's for you. It's C. Claflin. So you are going in again. Somebody sees you in the parking lot. They go, hey, that's Chris Claflin. And they start talking about you. But they don't realize you can overhear everything that they're saying about you. What would you want somebody to say about you? Oh, man. That's a great question. Um, See, I asked you ahead of time if I needed to be prepared, and you said no, and you lied. Um, All right. I don't know. I think um, he's a great guy, Uh, good dad, good husband. Um, He's got a lot of grit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know, transparent, trustworthy, I guess, like integrity, yeah. those types of things, maybe. Yeah. And he's I, also got a ra- great radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell him that before, I like, I did have a podcast. Uh, really? Well, I think I told you, like, I'm, I'm all 12 episodes, so like you, okay, def- I was right. definitely yeah, like yeah, of yeah. that group that fell off, you know, after episode <laughs> 10 who just quits but yeah normally it's it's seven so you made it past that but it's something like 95 percent of podcasts don't make it past seven episodes really so you made it past that barrier hey there there we go yep well you're in the hundred i think you're 101 isn't he yep great i think you're 101 there you go should have worn like a dalmatian costume (laughs) (laughs) oh that would be good i'll bet your wife would love it yeah let's turn this off and start over (laughs) we're rescheduling So for those who do not know Chris, he's the CEO of Sun and Property Management. But before we get to that, I want to get to the backstory a little bit. So let's start with just exposure to entrepreneurship. Growing up, were you around business owners, entrepreneurs? Do you have any exposure growing up to that? Yeah, you know, um, yes and no. Is it pretty interesting? My parents were both very much like career, work for the man, get the gold watch, um, hmm. loyalty regardless of how crappy. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah, you, you can, can say whatever okay. you want. <laughs> um, We've had worse. I'm usually yeah, more this, colorful than that. This um, is not going on PBS, so okay. you can say whatever you'd like. Yeah, so like, you know, my, they would be like loyal to a fault, you know, where um, no matter how much your employer abused you or misused you, you just worked for the same company forever until you die. Mm. Um, but my dad, interestingly enough, is kind of interesting because as much of a hardworking employee as he was, he always was like doing some side hustle. So he was an auto mechanic for Toyota. Oh, cool. And um, he was always working, like always had a car in the garage, you know, um, always, he would actually, I kind of realized this later, like he would also flip cars. So like sometimes they would get a car they wouldn't use at the dealership. It was like too crappy, right? They're yeah. like, no, it's not worth it. And he'd be like, I'll take it, you know, maybe he'd pay 200 bucks for it. And then he'd, put a new transmission in it or something and sell it for like 2000 bucks. Yeah. Cool. Um, but then, you know, at age 14, so I, you know, you could learn to drive at 14 in Idaho, which is where I grew up. 
<laughs> and um, of course, you know, being in a big family and stuff, it was like, I was always, you had to be super independent as a kid. So um, my parents, there was no way in hell my parents were buying a car for me. Right. And I knew that. And there was no way in hell they were even going to pay in for insurance or gas for me. <laughs> So like 14, I'm already like, hey, 14 and a half, I can start to learn how to drive. I need a car. I don't have any money. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, I got to get a job, got to get a job. So anyway, so I got a job at a sports bar up the road where my brother worked. One day, my mom just like, I was hanging out with friends. She dropped me off one day. And she's like, you have an interview. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I worked there for until um, high school, you know, local family owned uh, sports bar, which was yeah not a fun experience but um so that was kind of my first piece into entrepreneurship and that's where i you know kind of first started seeing like hey there are things i would do differently uh different ways i would do this this isn't you know the right way to do it um and then i think the next like in college i kind of got some more exposure and i was always jealous of entrepreneurs like to me it was this thing that i never had enough self-confidence that i could ever be that person mm -hmm. Um, it was always very intimidating to me, but it's also very sexy. Mm. Um, and so I think the next big, like, oh, whoa, was uh, sophomore year in college when, uh, you know, I would, it was like the third time I'd went and got put rent money, the check in the rent box. This is like before Venmo for those of you who are <laughs> yeah, listening exactly. who've never actually put rent in a box before. Um, like had to put the rent in the box. And then the landlord would come by and he was a nice guy. He was like ex-military though and he was not the sharpest tool in the shed. And he had a couple gigs going, one of which was like this apartment building. And I'd watch him, you know, like the second, third of the month come by and like collect all this, what I thought at the time was like a huge pile of cash yeah, right. out of the rent box. I'm like, wait a second. So this guy just like owns this building. He shows up once a month. This is my idea of what a landlord was, right? He shows up once a month. He just takes all of his gobs of money and goes back home. This is amazing. Like I got to figure out how to do real estate. You know, this is crazy. And that's exactly what your life looks like today. Yeah. And that's exactly what I do today, but I don't even have to go in. Like it just shows up in my bank account and that's all you do. You know, that's uh, like real estate is as sexy as Chip and Joanna Gaines make it out to be. Like, <laughs> it's that easy. Um, so that that was kind of another big like, hour. Oh, yeah, exactly. You could do it all in an hour and end up like under budget, never spend more than $7,000. Um, but anyway, um, that was kind of my big, my next big piece. And then I had friends, you know, from there on forward who, you know, I felt like had more balls than I did and actually would go start their own thing. And I would always be envious or jealous mm. and um, be like, oh man, that sounds, you know, it sounds that would be really cool, but I couldn't do that, you know. And even now, I would say, like, I don't like I hear entrepreneur, but I kind of like don't. I mean, this goes to imposter syndrome. Like, I don't really believe it. Like, I'm like, yeah, but that's still kind of, I'm kind of faking it. Like, mm. you know, I'm not, I'm not them. <laughs> that is imposter syndrome. <laughs> um, the mind is a funny thing, but yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. So, so you had this experience your sophomore year of, of seeing that, um, but not having the self confidence to, to go into it. So, talk talk to us about your your mindset or your vision for your future at that time, going into college, early college years, anything. What what did you think your path was going to look like? Uh, my mindset was like, I got to do really well at this college thing because there's no way in hell I'm ever going to work for an alcoholic, abusive boss like I did in high school. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to be like my parents who hate their jobs and come home, 
you know, miserable from work uh, and don't love what they do, there's got to be something better than that. Like to do that for the rest of my life would be a death sentence. Mm-hmm. So I've got to find a different way. And so the different way in my mind then was work really hard, do super well in school, have a lot of choices around career and what to go do and be able to kind of, you know, do what I wanted to do and not let my performance in school hinder options, I guess was kind of my mindset at the time of what that was going to look like for me. So, you know, it was, Hey, go get, you know, a really well paying job and, you know, a leadership position and be able to do what I want to do and be able to make it be in the field I want to, instead of just taking the leftover scraps you know, that are given. And in my mind at that point, it was like, well, if you get C's and you're just going to end up, you know, I don't know, yeah. stuck, stuck in some job, you stuck don't in do. some job yeah. you don't want to do making money. You don't want to make. And, yep. um, turns out that's not how the world works. But at the time that's yeah. what, you know, that's, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. And so I want to fast forward a few years because one of the things that's interesting is you were, you were at Boeing, I think for three years and then went back for your MBA. Uh, and with an entrepreneurship specialty, right? As in, uh, yeah, I worked for Boeing for nine years. I think toward the end is when I got, I don't know, maybe as, as they were longer than three years, I think before the MBA, but at some point okay. I went back, got my MBA, which was not. Either way, you've been, you were choice. at, I wish I had the whole script in front That's of okay. me, but, but you were at Boeing. I forget too, for multiple, so. let's say multiple <laughs> years, right? Could be three, could be six. Yeah. Um, but you're there for multiple years and then you decide to go back to school and get your MBA. Yeah. Talk to us about the catalyst. What, what prompted that for you to go back and get an MBA, but not only that, also have it be tailored towards entrepreneurship? Well, I was still in the mindset then. Like I was, I still didn't believe I could be an entrepreneur that I was one, even though I wanted to be, mm-hmm. right? And so the mindset was still like, let's not shut doors. Yeah. And, um, you know, Boeing's a, a great company with a lot of challenges and frustrations as an employee. But uh, one of the things that was cool is they would actually pay for you to go get a degree um the whole thing in fact when i started it was way better like you could get any degree you wanted at any level as many of them like you go get a phd in underwater basket weaving even if you were like an accountant and they would pay for the whole at at like harvard and they would pay for the whole thing and it used to be they would give you ten thousand dollars in stock in addition to all that when you got your degree Wow. They, they like quit that, but like right. that, that was the thing. So, so it was like, well, gosh, you know, I was big on education. I've always loved learning. So I'm like, well, it's really hard to turn down a free degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I knew like the trajectory I was on within Boeing, you know, looking at where I wanted to go, a lot of folks eventually had gotten their MBA and I was fortunate enough that I feel like my undergrad business education was actually really solid. So when I went and got my MBA, it was kind of a joke. Um, I felt like I actually took away more and more advanced things from my undergrad than I did my MBA. Okay, really? So I, I, I regret doing it because it was at a time when I had, you know, our first kid, he was young and mm. it turns out, you know, I didn't really use it, but um, I don't know, it's there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was that idea of like, hey, let's go get my degree because you know, if I wanna be higher up in the company at some point, it's gonna be a roadblock and there's probably no better time to do it than now. And, um, but it did, you know, to be fair, I don't know if I can completely regret it because there were like a couple things there that were small, but they may have been kind of turning points and me going, oh, maybe I could do this thing. Mm. Yep. Um, 
And so entrepreneurship, there are lots of things to choose from as far as like what you could focus on. And, and that was the one thing that was scariest to me, right? Like this mm. big, exciting, but scary thing. Yep. And so I'm like, well, I kind of feel like I shouldn't do that, imposter syndrome. Mm. But maybe this would be an opportunity for me to stretch my comfort zone and pretend I could be an entrepreneur a little bit yeah. <laughs> and see what that's like. Um, and so that's why I chose that. I'm curious. I know you, you've talked about it in the past, but I want our listeners to hear so you were in idaho you grew up in idaho right yep, yep. how many kids in that family um there were seven of us total <laughs> as yours mine and ours so oh a lot yeah of kids. yeah that's a lot of kids so <laughs> i i think about some of the other guests that we've had where they've had multiple kids or whatever and you know they had this i got to get out of the house i mean with Devin, we had the same thing right oh yeah you know <laughs> Uh, he's been amazing. Um, so when you were with Boeing, were you in Seattle? Yes. Yeah. Yep. All right. So what brought you to Charlotte, North Carolina? Oh, man. This could be like a whole podcast. In All right. Itself. Hey, we love rabbit wolves here. So um, take us down. So in in college, you know, so, we, so in Moscow, Idaho, there's not a lot there. <laughs> there are lots of wheat fields. Um and underage drinking, and that's about it. Like the town of the town of Moscow, and it, it's spelled like Moscow, but you know, in Idaho, we aren't very literate, so we don't pronounce it how you're supposed to pronounce it. So we pronounce it Moscow. Um, and um, and so it's pretty funny. I'm forever ruined, especially since this whole conflict with Russia. Anytime someone's like Moscow, I'm like you're saying it wrong. You know? <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> Moscow is going. Uh, what, were we, what were we even talking about? How did about? you get to Charlotte? Oh, how did I get to Charlotte? Okay, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like this is not a destination, you know, Idaho is very beautiful for a lot of reasons, but we knew like we did not want to be in Idaho forever. And we even knew like, hey, where our careers might be taking us on the West Coast, who knows? That's like part of this big, huge country, right? So where would we want to live? So there was actually this website that I don't think is up anymore. It's called Find Your Spot. And you would put in all this information about like... Um, you know what type of weather you like yeah. and i remember uh, this you remember this thing yeah. so it was, it was pretty sweet it was like in one of the dark corners of the internet like not inappropriate or dark, right but like you know like it just wasn't publicized but we found this thing and um all sorts of things like political views all this stuff and um anyway so my my then girlfriend now wife and i uh took that quiz and there were several cities in the southeast that ended up on i mean even like macon georgia was on the list as like number 19 for me or something. I've never wow. been making, but um, so, you know, this and some other places are on the list. So we did that. I don't know. Gosh, it had to be right before we graduated or something. And then um, we did it again later in like 2010, I think when we got married and um, we just bought a house in Seattle and, uh, and here we are looking at where we actually want to live, you know? So we did like this road trip around the Southeast and one of the places was like Greensboro or something. I don't know. So we were coming down, I think, from Greensboro, and we were coming down 77. And for those of you who are, who are listening to this who are not in Charlotte or familiar with Lake Norman, you're going to be bored out of your mind for the next 45 seconds. But for those of you who are in the area and you understand, you'll kind of know what I'm referring to and how naive I was. So we're coming down 77. Out the right window, I see what looks like a glimpse of a lake. And I, now I grew up on a lake that's actually the same size as Lake Norman. And so, not on the lake, we weren't rich, um, yeah. <laughs> but like near a lake. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I'm like, lake, cool. And that was on my list, right? Like, I want to be around fresh water. I want to be able to do things on the lake because I love the water. 
And uh, and I'm like, hey, pull up Google Maps and like, let's see how big this thing is. So Amy's pulling up the maps, you know, and she's like, holy cow, it's actually pretty big. I'm like, really? Yeah. I'm like, all right, we should get off at like the next exit. So we get off at exit 28, Catawba, <laughs> and um, we're driving around. We're like, this is actually a pretty nice developed road. Like it's all is like, you know, leave it to Beaver or something. I mean, it was amazing. You didn't have this in Seattle. Seattle, it's like you had to pick which gas station you're going to fill up at so you don't get shanked. You know, right? Wow. And uh, not all Seattle, but where we lived, <laughs> that's how it was. And so uh, I told Amy, I'm like, hey, the next like nice like the next residential area I'm going to pull into. Let's see if we can get a glimpse of the lake. Well, sure enough, I see this sign that says the Peninsula. Oh and yeah, it's like you know beautiful. <laughs> there are these banks everywhere. I'm like, wow, this looks all right. Like let's pull in here. You know, so we pull into the Peninsula and we just start driving around and like we're creeping around at three miles per hour on probably like a Wednesday afternoon at one o'clock. Everyone has either their like landscaper or their house cleaner mm-hmm. there and this was in 2010 or 11 i think yeah and um so we're seeing all these really nice homes on the water and you know granted we're coming from the seattle's area so i'm like hey pull up zillow so she pulls up zillow i'm like the estimates like 980 you're telling me you can get a five bedroom 4500 square foot house for under a million on the water and we're looking at each other like this is where this is it we're like right here you know <laughs> And sure enough, we're driving around for so long that actually some guy in this like Lincoln Continental or something is behind me. I'm like, oh no, what did I do? <laughs> he like pulls me over. Sure enough, is like this poor sixty some odd year old realtor who probably hadn't had a deal in two years. You know, and he's like, hey, I noticed you driving around the neighborhood. And he was like, did you know you can water ski here and swim trunks in September and October? And I'm like, you know, mine was blown. <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, in Idaho. After Fourth of July, you were lucky if it, yeah. you know, you could, you could, you could jump in the water. So that was what, that was what sold us on the air. So like we just always had this vision, like, hey, this is eventually going to be where we want to live. So, um, you know, one day when things just got, you know, too frustrating at Boeing, it was like, well, I know where they're going to send me next. They're going to send me to Winnipeg or Salt Lake City. So let's not do that. Let's instead, <laughs> you know, go live where we want to live. Mm-hmm. What year was that? That was 2017. Oh man! So that's about right after you moved here is when I met you. Pretty yeah. close to it. Yeah, you were one of the few who helped get me off the ground. <laughs> yeah, I think we met probably within that summer. I think. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that you were fresh off the. Oh yeah, I knew nobody off the train. <laughs> I knew, I knew Paul Fackler. Oh yeah. Um, he was the one that had had. To have introduced us, probably. Um, Paul introduced me to Steve. Steve introduced me to Ann. Oh. Ann introduced me to you. Yeah. And that's... So, the web of Charlotte. Oh, the web of Charlotte. And, like, that's... Paul was the only person I knew in, in all of Charlotte uh, when we moved here. Yep. Wow. Yep. So what was the tipping point that is like, all right, was it the fact that I'm not going to wait for them to relocate me and we're going to just take our chances oh, or... Okay. Well, the tipping point. Okay, so... You know, I had this thing where I, um, I always said E by three. So uh, this was with my wife. I wanted to be an executive at Boeing by 30 years old. Ah. And I was I was very young uh, to become a manager and very young to become a senior manager. And there was no one that I knew of in the company who'd become an executive by 30. And so I wanted to be an executive by 30. And so it was like, I don't know, 2017, I guess. It was 2016. I was, I was going to... Uh, I was about to turn 30 and I realized, you know, I had this pretty crummy 
always had several advocates at Boeing, but um, I had there was a point where I took on this really big. Pro- I was responsible for this really big project and had a big team, and I had about three levels of really crappy leaders above me, mm. and so it was very difficult um, to go up and get things done or to do well. And so I had started looking outside the company. I'm like, hey, I've been here for nine years. Most people in my generation made it one or two years. And yeah. Bo- Boeing churns through young people like crazy. Yep. Um, and so uh, I had kind of reached out and started thinking about doing something outside of Boeing, but in some sort of executive role, doing a turnaround or something like that. I'm very good at operations. That's my history. So I thought, you know, could do something like that um, and started talking to a bunch of people about it. And um, uh, there was one gentleman I talked to actually kind of encouraged an entrepreneurial type path for me when I described to him what I wanted to do. Um, but the, the the nail in the coffin for me at Boeing was when, um, you know, I had gone, I mean, I, I, I sweat blue and bled blue for years, like sacrificed a ton you know, I used to make jokes that like, Hey, I'm only working half days, you know, when you're putting in 16 hour days, like, yeah. um, and, and, and was all the company. And, um, when we had our second child, uh, I basically told my boss, I was like, Hey, look, I'm taking off a week and then I'm going to do two weeks, half days. And, um, they're like, well, I don't think you should do it. And really, and Boeing had just corporate wide <clears throat> implemented this paid paternity leave. And, you know, that's where, like, corporate policy and what the culture of the company is are yeah. very, very, very mm-hmm. different things. And so I, I, I left and went out. And when I came back, I, so I had a team of 200 people when I left. When I came back, I had no direct reports. Really? Yep. They made up some bogus position and stripped all that away and were like, you have no direct reports. You have this title and position that's just made up and doesn't do anything anymore. All of your peers and we agree that you should have been more available while you're out when your wife just had your child. And why wasn't your BlackBerry on? (laughs) So that was like, I came home, like I was, oh yeah, and then it's like, oh, and by the way, everybody hates you. Like, that was literally the conversation. Yeah. Like, I came back and they're like, hey, feedback, by the way, on top of all this, everybody hates you. And I'm like, oh, thanks. You know? I, and I was like, I can't, I was devastated. Like, I yeah. remember I was shaking so badly. I just left in the middle of the day, came home, just, I think the tears, like, it was just this overwhelm of like, I didn't care if everyone hated me or not. But like, it was when you put so much hard yes. work in your heart and soul into something and then, it just about faces like that was just, it was like I had done all that sacrifice for nothing, you know? And and then I just realized right then and there, like, they don't care. Like, okay, one or two people at the company care, yeah. but like the company doesn't care, you right. know, about me. So it was just it was this huge aha. And um, I came home, I told my wife, I'm like, you wouldn't believe <laughs> the day that I've had. You know, and um, and so after that, I was like, "That's it, I'm done." You know, so I had this paid mm. paternity leave. So the next two weeks, I took off of paid paternity leave was to come over to Charlotte and do house hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "Forget you guys." You know? yep. Now you've got the perk, and you're actually going to take care. Yeah, of it. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll show you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And we've seen that where in the tech world, unlimited PTO. 
But if oh, you yeah. do, yeah, you're out of here. We're going to execute you in front of everybody. Right. Exactly. Yep. Interesting. So, so you're at that point. You take the two weeks to come to Charlotte. Did you have any idea in your mind of what you were going to do when you got here? Oh yeah. So we knew uh, we were going to start a property management business, but you know we didn't know anybody here um, or have a house. We actually bought our house sight unseen too. <laughs> uh, so of all the places we looked at, we didn't look at the house we actually ended up buying. So I knew like one person, and yeah. Move to, move to a new city. You just have the second kid. Yep. And you're like, I'm going to start a business. We'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. We're going <laughs> to, yeah, we're just going to do this. Well, it, it was, it was pretty naive too, right? Cause I'm like, here's the thing. Property managers are known, like they never answer the phone. So I just thought, all I got to do is answer the phone. It's going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, there's, my, there's my no way to fail. So a cabinet painting company. And he says, if all I do is show up on time and do what I tell them I'm going to do, I'm better than 99% of my competitors. Yeah. yeah. And it's unbelievable how low the standards are for things like that. So if I answer the phone, I'm better than their current property manager. Yeah. The, the hard part I ended up learning getting Jim Dunn's help with is like, that was a really bad assumption that I made though. Like all I got to do is answer the phone. Yeah, Cause it turns out that actually more. doesn't work when you're trying to start a business. Like you can't yeah. just have a good product, you know, or, or be attentive. Like you got to be able to market it and sell it and that was a part where i knew i didn't know much and i'm always humbled by but um so take us through that take us through the starting of the business oh man the starting of the business i don't know was well i mean we started investing in property in 2011 we bought our first rental and um you know through there and a growing frustration with property managers one of these gentlemen i talked about earlier when i was getting some counsel on you know looking at potentially doing something else he's like hey you got to start a business that, you know, has one of a couple attributes, either it's like a service business and, or it's something that cannot be exported to China. Um, now this is a guy that owns, he actually was a CEO is a weird, unique thing. Cool guy, super colorful. Um, he managed like 12 businesses for this wealthy guy. So like every business is all privately held. So this one rich dude in Florida or something, has like 12 companies, but he wanted nothing to do with them. So he hired this guy to go manage all the CEOs of those companies. Really cool. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because this guy had owned several companies too. So I was talking to him and he's like, you gotta do something that China can't make and, and or as a service business. And I'm like, okay, well what else? And he's like, you gotta do something you either have enough, you have to have passion about it. So you either have to love it enough or hate it enough. And I'm like, oh man, you know, what's that? You know. And I'm like, oh, I hate property managers. They suck, man. You know, <laughs> so that's how we got into property management. <laughs> it's like, hey, I know something about rentals. I know, you know, uh, we did a pretty good job with them, I thought, over in the Seattle area. And um, I hate it. I had, had a loathing for property managers. So that's what we did. And um, I don't know, starting it, you know, I was, I'd read some books and, I'd, you know, uh, try to get myself up to speed, listen to podcasts and stuff, and then uh, talk to a lawyer over here and, um, then eventually it was just like, all right, I got to pull the trigger at some point, got all the systems and what set up, you know, wrote myself a business plan, uh, showed it to nobody, but that was helpful just to yeah. get my thoughts down on paper, did the market research and stuff. And, um, and then you just start and you fail like crazy. You know, I'd get here and just be constantly humbled. Yep. <laughs> I was conducting interviews for my broker in charge because, like, so in, in North Carolina, you have to have a real estate license to have a property management company, and to have a broker in charge, you have to have at least two years' experience. Well, I didn't even have my real estate license yet, 
wow. that I wanted to own this company. So I'm like, well, I got to go hire somebody who has that license for me. So I was like interviewing while I was still in Seattle, you know, pretending to work at Boeing, um, collecting a check, <laughs> but actually just doing research on this all day. Uh, then, which I have, I have no qualms about. Like, I have no guilt about that because they used and abused me for so right. long, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, planning, planning my exit from there. Um, so, but then you know, I, I'd do some interviews and stuff, and hired my first person actually, um, like within a week of when we got here. Really? Yeah, I had to. I had no choice uh, for the license. Right. For the license. Yep. Yeah. It'd be like having a CPA firm, but you're not a CPA. It, it was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to hear a, a little bit about... You guys went through a tremendous amount of change. You moved clear across the country. Yep. And you've got two young kids. Yep. Your, your wife says, saddle up, let's ride. <laughs> you know, And you don't know anybody. Yep. <laughs> and you come to a new city. Wow, it's like... That's a massive amount of change. Not every spouse can handle that. Yep. How did she and how did you guys navigate that part? Um, she's going to be listening to this, so I'm going to preface it with <laughs> I love you, um, but not well. Uh, yeah. Not well. In fact, I think we are still unraveling hurt mm. from then. Mm-hmm. Um that was hard you know mm-hmm. she i'm really amazed she did it i think she did it because she hated the like hated the gray of seattle as much as i did and yeah. she'd always kind of loved the south and you know we we're fortunate enough um that you know she, she when our first was born she's she's a cpa so like that's it can be a brutal business right right um public public accounting so um she tried going back to work thinking she might want to do it. And then we we're both like, yeah, no, let's not put ourselves through this. So she, luckily, you know, she's, she stayed at home with our, our boys. Um, and that's been a great decision for us. But even with that, like, I think even with that, that was really, it was hard. Um, she's very much a steady, wants predictable, um, but she's also really great at like the details and the minutia, which I absolutely hate. Mm-hmm. But for her, that enables her to see and worry about all the flaws and things that could go wrong, which is really bad when you're starting up this brand new risky yeah. business that you have no idea what you're doing. Yep. Um, and so that was really, really, really hard um, to take. You know, we sold off everything in Seattle, we had built all these properties. We sold them all off to plow them into this company. Yeah. And there was a point where, you know, I, I was, I was burning through as much money. We were losing as much money as I was making in a month at Boeing. So it's like we had taken it, but then put a minus sign in front of it. Yeah. And yeah. that's what our income was. And so that, like that, like it was scary to me, but I always kind of had this belief, like, I will figure out a way. I don't know how, but I will figure it out. <laughs> and she's just like, you're running us into the ground, you know? And um, anyway, so that was hard. That was re- that was the whole hardest part about this, yeah. I think, is, um, is just that. Yeah. Not every marriage makes it through that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, luckily with enough, um, you know, 
negative coping mechanisms. <laughs> we made it through. And she's so supportive now. Like she, I mean, you know, she, she blows me away now with the risk that she's willing to take on. And I'm like, who are you? Yeah. You know, she's like, well, you did this to me. And I'm like, <laughs> like, this last thing, like we just moved houses. I think I told you yeah. like the first, the first property we bought this investment property, 2011, um, and is a foreclosure. And we walk into this condo in a suburb of Seattle. It's not like, it's not bad, but it's not the greatest area either. And we walk in and the power's off and there's like a hole punched in the wall and like a couple other things that are bad, but otherwise it's in pretty good shape. And we're all excited. We go in there. We look like little coal miners. We've got our headlamps <laughs> on. She brought her clipboard because we're both really nerdy people. So it's like, it's in October or something, I think is maybe when we got it. I don't remember. And um, so we go in with our sweatshirts. We're like in there and she sees a holes in the drywall. And I'm like, oh, this is exciting. And I look over my shoulder at her because we're making the punch list of what needs to happen, right? right. Which yours truly is going to do all of. <laughs> and um, I look over and tears are just streaming down her face. And she's mm. like, what did we just do? Like we bought a murder house <laughs> probably <laughs> and um, put all of you know our savings at that point was, was like 10 grand yeah. uh, into it. And you're, it's going to make how much? And I'm like, it's going to cash flow like, you know, $70 a month. <laughs> and she's like, what? You're kidding me. You know, and then she's just like, Details. she's like, Amy out, you know? And um, anyway, so this, so take that. And here we are, uh, you know, uh, gosh, 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. 13 years later. And we go, you know, to buy this house that she finds that comes online that is literally like falling apart. It's like the house from the money pit. And she's like, we got to go look at it. And I'm like, you realize? And she's like, oh, I know. And so we go look at it. And I'm like, okay. It needs a lot of work. Like the foundation has issues. There's rot. Um, you could see like the active roof leaks, you know, and all this stuff. And she's like, I know, isn't it great? And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's going to be a lot of money. It's going to be. And here I am like pumping the brakes. And she's like, I know, but look at the land, look at the location, look at the school. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And so I'm like, all right, I, if you, I mean, if you're in, you know, so, um, so it's pretty amazing. Like how, like you said, like marriages, you know, you can really grow together. Like I would have never guessed she would be at that point where she's like, all right, let's do it. You know, it's the uglier, the better, you know, she's found like all these crazy, ugly properties for us to go look at this <laughs> last year. It's been amazing. We love it. I want to talk about, you know, when you come into a new city, one thing that we love about Charlotte is it's a very connected city. Yes. Once you get into the streams and when you talk about you know who you were connected to and then steve kinsler and like oh, i mean he was the master connector yeah yeah the, what you described earlier of the this person introduced me here 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 like that's very common we come across yes. that more often than not which yes. is amazing right you get this the 15th i think largest city in the country and it has this small town everybody oh, yeah. helps everybody type feel it's so unique and it's like the best part of charlotte it yeah. is the best part and of charlotte and the people who don't understand or take advantage or too bashful like they just they don't get it it doesn't click and it's crazy like we had this thing called seattle nice you know and i don't know if i told you about this but it's like you would do that like we would meet each other or someone be like oh gary hey yeah nice meeting you we should definitely go out for coffee sometime and then i'd walk off and be like yeah phew, that's never happening right you know but in charlotte it's like we should go out for coffee sometime great what's your number what's uh next thursday look like yep. you know and then you go out for coffee and you you know you actually like help each other it's yeah. it's really crazy yeah yeah. So sorry, I interrupted. Sorry, you. Keep going. Yeah, so did I. No. <laughs> well, you just hit a lot of things that 
are the reason I'm back in Charlotte because I love Charlotte and yeah. it's still that way even when we moved here in 94 that's how it was and it was a much smaller city than what it is now um, and I could not find that in Cleveland, Ohio. I think it was because of the gray skies. Everybody's in a bad mood. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. six months of winter, you didn't really want to go outside, you know, and, and see people unless you're blowing your, you know, snow blowing your, your driver, shoveling, or whatever. But I want to talk about what were some of the things that you found in, okay, you, you had a plan, you had an idea, you, you kind of went through the rigors of that. You didn't just quit out of impulse and being mad that, you know, they had taken 200 people away from you and all of a sudden, you know, they've basically banished you. They've blackballed you within the company. You didn't respond based on emotion, but you still kind of, all right, all right, I'm planning my exit. You move out. You're deliberate about it. How did you start you know like get into the details of what worked on connecting with other people and how did you get specific about your ask and and even contribute back to other people so it wasn't just this me 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 I need you know yeah. you need to take care of me kind of thing because that that doesn't really work too well um, but talk about that and because I think anybody listening to this, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, we are better because of other people that were around, you yeah. know. But we have to kind of dial it down as to our ask, you know, our approach, who we're connecting with, and that sort of thing. So I want to hear kind of your perspective coming in. And how, do, how did you do that specifically for your business? So I mentioned before where I had this grand idea that I was going to go <clears throat> work in some sort of executive role at another company, right? So um, in order, I really, I was really good at networking within Boeing. Really yeah. good. Um, I sucked. I knew nobody outside of the company. Like, mm. you know, I, I knew this, I didn't, I was on a first name basis with the CEO, but on a company of 180,000 people, you know, like the level below, I was on a first name basis with some of those folks. And, um, and so I'd done a good job with that. And so I kind of had some ideas already. And part of that was just through like asking people what they do and, you know, can you learn from them? And do you have suggestions? And I want to grow and I want to do this, you know, what would you recommend? And it's really kind of that ego stroke, but not a disingen disingenuous, yeah, disingenuous. Right. I don't know. Yeah. My wife's yeah. going to roll her eyes at this later. Cause she's like, <laughs> you know, great at grammar I'm not um, that's what the MBA gets for you honey is uh, you know you can't say words but um, anyway so uh, we you know I was decent at that but I realized I knew nobody outside of the company and so I was like oh crap you know so I went and I thought I'm gonna go hire a recruiter or I'm not gonna hire a recruiter I thought a recruiter is gonna want to talk to me mm -hmm. sure enough I was striking out like crazy with recruiters huh. and I found, came across this company and basically they're like hey we will teach you how to I don't know, some sales pitch, whatever. So I paid $12,000 to learn how to network. That's basically the really? And what it turned out is they would not do any phishing for you. They had a resume, they had a database of all of these different people around the country and they would make introductions for you, but it was up to you to basically form the relationship and yeah. get a position. And you paid $12,000 for that privilege. 
Um, and so <laughs> wow. what I learned was, and kind of what they taught you is like, hey, start coming from a place of value and also maybe a little ego stroke. Like, hey, Gary, I noticed you are, you know, you've been in this industry for a long time. I'm just this humble guy looking for some feedback on my resume, looking for some feedbacks from a pro like you, uh, you know, could we talk sometime? And yeah. so that kind of helped me under, and then part of that was you needed to come and you needed to give something yeah. in that conversation. So who could I introduce you to? How can I help you? And then at the end was accountability for, hey, also, can you help me? If so, here's one thing you could do. And are you okay if I hold you accountable to that? So if I don't see something in a week come from you, is it okay if I check back in with you and see how it's going? And so like that's the foundation. And when I met eventually guys like you or Steve or whatever, that's exactly what you guys do, right? So <laughs> when I came to Charlotte, that was, I had nothing. Like I had nothing to offer people, but yeah. I did have some connections I'd made and I had this huge database, you know, that I paid $12,000 before and it made, really made right. nothing. But I sat down and like, you know, you talk to Paul, and then Paul's great at this too. Call Paul's a great. Yeah. Paul's like, well, you got to meet my friend Steve, and I'm like, uh, okay, I guess. You know, he's you know he's uh, he's a banker, and I'm like, what could a banker possibly help me with? You know, in Charlotte, <laughs> I'm like, sure, I'll meet him though, because I want you know. And then I'm so glad. Um, yeah. And I sat down with Steve, and you know, and I I told Steve, I was like, well, how can I help you? And of course, you know, knowing Steve, he's like, well, nothing. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 I got to help you with something. So. <laughs> Um, he's working on this thing at a time and I'm like, actually, I got a guy for you, you know? And so, um, and then he's like, okay, you need to meet these six people and was like, bah, 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 bah. and I was just, holy cow. And that's how, you know, I figure I probably met 200 people because of Steve. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, but that's, so, so that's what I do. I always, and whenever I tell folks on my team, I'm like, here's the deal. You go in, first of all, don't talk business. Yeah. Like you're talking to a person, not a business card. So at first like it's about them it's about their story everyone in charlotte it's how did you get here why did you come you know that's everybody it is and then um you know family hobbies and get to know them and then it's hey legitimately how can i help you and and i don't mean what can i sell you yeah that's, that's right. not yep. you know it's how can i help you and how can i help you might mean who's a good referral partner for you um, yeah. You know, do you have a need of some sort? And maybe it is. I have something that I can do for you or teach you or whatever. Um, but usually it's like, who could I introduce you to that might be helpful? Or I may not. You know, I don't know. Uh, and then at the end, you know, it's like once they, once you tell someone, how can I help you? You know, it's like uh, they have to return the favor. <laughs> like it just that's universal law. It like they does, just turn yeah. around and they go, well, how about you? <laughs> and that's where you can either at the beginning I just wanted to meet good people in Charlotte so I said hey, mm -hmm. here's the deal I just want to meet good people like you so if mm -hmm. you know a good person and uh, you think we should meet I'd love to meet them and now I've become more specific after that you know where we, you kind of learn where referrals and things come from and you spend a lot of time you know there's a time Never it was like the Gary Fry level of uh, networking, but Gary's at a different level. But like, I there was a point in time where I was doing like ten or fifteen coffees a week, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. this is not sustainable, and I'm not getting any business. And I love meeting all these people, but I like I can't do all this. Yeah, yeah, that's and right. And so then you start targeting and saying, hey, I kind of I would be very interested in meeting this type of person. However, if there's someone you're like, they're just a great person to meet. You know, great things come from meeting great yeah. people. So, yeah, yeah. Is that I don't know. Is that yeah, that's answers? that's super helpful because. Anybody listening to this that's been in corporate America, what you described was what I call the terrarium effect. You know, you live in the terrarium, but you have no 
interaction with anybody outside the terrarium. Yeah, right. And usually when people are not on LinkedIn or whatever, but then all of a sudden they are, it's because they're looking. Yep. And it's too late. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's not that it's too late, but you are way behind the ball. You are way behind the curve. And if you're, if you have... If, if somebody's listening to this, they're in corporate America or they're, they're stuck in a, a job, but they are just getting consumed by that job, you need to find ways that you can start connecting outside of that terrarium and make genuine connections yes. with genuine people. Yes. Talk also about, because you and I are in the Kinsler circle to honor our friend uh, Steve Kinsler who unfortunately passed away from COVID one of the first in in Charlotte to pass away from it but one of the best networkers and just one of the best human beings I've ever met Um, so we renamed our our little mastermind group to honor him but I don't know if you're in any other groups but talk about you know why and what you've gotten out of being in kind of peer-to-peer groups yeah, peer-to-peer groups are really great for helping you remember that no matter what your business is, you're facing a lot of the same problems as other people, right? So, um, you know, if you if I come in and I'm like, I've got a confidence issue, I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that. You know, it's like it doesn't matter what you're in. Like other people have, you know, done the same thing. Or I've got an issue with a non-performing employee or I've got, you know. Yeah a cash situation or whatever, or an opportunity, like everyone else has had similar issues. And the other beautiful thing about it is in a peer to peer group, what I find happens a lot of times is, is like, I'll be in the middle of giving someone advice, like very firmly planted in like, this is obvious. Like, this is what you should do. Why haven't you done it yet? Like, why are you sitting on this problem? And then you stop and you go, wait a second. <laughs> you have the same exact problem that I have. <laughs> Why have I not done those things? <laughs> you know, like it's just yours is painted a different color than mine or something. So yeah. I think those are, those are the helpful things in a peer to peer group. I think it can be hard. Like I've been in several different peer to peer groups. Yeah. Um, and in general, I, I love them. I think the thing that's hard though, is like sometimes it's like, you know, it's Pareto's principle. Like, you get 80% of the value probably in the first 20% of the time that you're there. And then after that, you're still in the same peer group. And unless you have something that's like causing constant innovation, accountability, new conversations, at some point you just kind of end up having the same conversations with the same people over and over again. And you're like, Hmm. why am I paying a thousand dollars a month for this? And you know, three hours of my time and energy to just kind of hear the same person come back with the same thing every time, or me come back with the same thing every time and not really get resolution. And Mm -hmm. so you kind of got to evaluate and say, okay, you know, when have I gotten what I'm going to get from here Yeah, and, and find something else. So what, what have you done to combat that? Whether it's connecting with people outside of that or switching peer groups, what, what have you done to be able to shake that up? Yeah. So I'll be honest, like, I think that's a big struggle for me. Um, you know, the one, one awesome thing about Boeing is like, there are some really freaking smart people in Boeing and really There are some, like, there are some really crappy leaders like any company, but there's some really great leaders too. And so, you know, I could always go to somebody who I really respected and be like, this is my problem. Mm-hmm. You know, what would you recommend? And like get solid advice. And if I didn't like what they said, I had a bunch of other people, right? And it was free. (laughs) Um, But I think in the peer group, what's hard when you own your own business is like, you can't, 
you can't go take all your problems to your wife, right? Um, right. That's bad. Because <laughs> um, you're going to scare them or frustrate them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can't take them to your employees. Uh, also bad. Right. And you can't always take them to your friends, especially friends who don't have businesses. And there are people out there, you know, who have businesses, but they're not similar or whatever, and they may not get it either. And so I think that's really tough. And that's one thing I, I've really struggled with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's just like, you got to be honest about when you go in. Like you got to be honest about this is what I'm expecting. Yeah. Um, you know, and if I don't get it, then like I want to make sure I've gotten out. You know, if, especially if you're paying yeah. for it. But you got to kind of evaluate it. And I think at some point when you're not excited to go, or you find yourself making excuses for your absences or whatever, yeah. it's kind of a clue that like, is this really valuable to me anymore? Right. And you got to just change it up. And you got to I don't know. I don't know. Throw spaghetti at the wall. It seems like that's. My entrepreneurial journey is just like, you know, fail a lot and hopefully some things are successful. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's the entrepreneurial journey. That's it. People don't, Humbling. it's not quite as sexy as just no, seeing the guy so pick up the checks when, in your sophomore it's year. It's so yeah. less sexy. It is so less sexy and so more humbling. Oh my word. Well, and we've, we've talked a lot about this of people getting into business because of being naive of how nice is it going to be. And end up just creating a bad job for them. Oh, absolutely. Right. And, and that's fairly common. So we were talking before the podcast a little bit about this, kind of how you've shaped your life to not to not have to serve the company the other way around. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. I think it's pretty unique. You've done a, a pretty incredible thing here. Yeah, thanks. Well, um, I'll preface it with, you know, we were joking and I'm like, I'm always just one employee right. quitting away from a complete <laughs> crisis um, and that being turned completely upside down. But um you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that I have an awesome team. And um, I guess, you know, it kind of started for me. Robert Kiyosaki has this book. He has a few books. Um, and, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is what really got me into real estate investing. And, um, and Cash Flow Quadrant is what gave me this idea of like, wow, one day I need to be like, not I want to be. I want to be too, but like I need to be a business owner because what he talks about is, you know, there's the the business owner, the employee, the self-employed and the investor mm-hmm. and the business owner takes proceeds from the business and puts it into passive investments. And the other two are stuck. <laughs> and the worst one is not to be an employee, but to be self-employed. Yeah. Right. You know, because you are a prison, a prisoner of your own prison. Yep. And um, so I was like, all right, that makes sense. And then, you know, I also read The E-Myth. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a great book, too. And, you know, talking about, you know, uh, kind of similar similar situations, like do you want to be a business owner or not? And so I really went into this thing kind of looking at it as another investment is what I did. Like, hey, you know, my whole thing was I, I wanted, like, it was absolutely my goal, my expectation rather that, you know, as if I was going to be in corporate America, I was going to be able to retire at 50 and whether I chose to or not would be a different story. Yeah. But I really wanted to be able to be able to retire at yeah, 40 get to that point if of, I wanted true to. true freedom where you yeah. have the choice to do it if you want. Exactly. And for me, like rental properties were my lifeline. Like they were my last hope. Like, yeah. hey, I'll create enough passive income that one day I can just say, you know, F you to the man and, and still support my family. Yep. And that's kind of what we did. And thank goodness we started buying, you know, in the crash because that enabled us to do that. But um, you know, I think, uh, I keep losing my, my train here. Um, 
what were we even we're talking talk, about? Talking about the balance you've created. In yeah, the life. balance. Okay, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Okay, so you're good. Uh, so we, um, you know, I'm not gonna. I was asking earlier. I'm like, hey, do you edit these things? Oh yeah. Sometimes people want to restart. Like, I'm not gonna restart. I'm just gonna babble forever. <laughs> um, all right. So I went in. I, there's a reason it's not named Claflin Property Management. Like, mm. I wanted it. I, I wanted people to not even know I own the property. In fact. Um, I tell my team, I'm like, don't tell people I own it. Like, if they ask outright, we're going to be truthful. But, like, I don't want people to know, like, it's mine. Because if they know that I own it, they're never going to be satisfied with the answer you give them. Yeah, that's true. And so, like, I've got to remove myself from the equation. Like, look at, I never wanted to be a property manager. Like, Okay, for anyone who's ever thinking of using our services, I promise we'll do a great job. <laughs> but, like, you know, I can do that job well, but I hate it. You know, it drains me. That's not mm. that's not my passion. Like my passion was creating the business. Yeah. My passion is improving the business. My passion is taking an industry that's like the black sheep of of real estate and yep. making it something cool. Um, and so I, you know, it was always my goal to have something that runs on its own and that was separate from my identity, but that I could also be proud of. Yeah. Um, and we were talking earlier, I said, you know, success to me is when I can take my name off of the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's always been, always been the goal. And, um, you know, I think I was thinking a little bit on the way here, I, I kind of view it as like the path to that is I view like every entrepreneur has kind of three major resources. Um, this has taken me a while to learn this, by the way, I was like today years old when I kind of figured this one out. <laughs> um, so money. Um, time, but the one that took me forever to learn until probably this last year, that's been a huge game changer for me that I'm still an infant at is energy. Yes. And I would argue that money is the easiest, even though it can be very hard. Time is actually not that challenging. Once you figure out some strategies for it, but energy that's the sneaky yeah, bastard. That's right. Like that, that is the one that will get you. Um, and I had ignored that for so long. And so I think once you start really focusing on, hey, things that suck my energy, especially, mm-hmm. and my time, um, you know, and how can I do it profit- profitably? How can I have other people who that gives energy to? Um, do that instead and how can I build systems and processes to help them be successful or at least have a reasonable confidence that they're going to be successful most of the time focus my efforts on that and that's what I've done like from the get-go I've always said hey we might have one property that we're managing but we're going to make decisions as if we're doing a thousand like we're going to set this thing up as if we're doing a thousand and that meant doing a lot of things differently it meant telling a lot of clients no telling a lot of clients Mm -hmm. no i can't do that for you no i can't make an exception firing a lot of clients um because i was like i can't ever take myself out of the mix if it all revolves around me and what's in my own head um so that's i don't know oh man that's good oh it definitely does yeah Yeah. that's the entrepreneur's dilemma of you know being you said being a, a prisoner in your own prison right Yep. um at some point every entrepreneur hits that inflection point of where too many roads lead to them yep. and how do I extricate myself but the other thing that you really hit was on this energy deal we call it thrive wither it's like what makes you come alive yeah. 
And you really have to pay attention to that because many times the stuff that's in your wither column is sucking energy, but you're actually good at it. Yeah. Well, yes. And that's the case You've developed for, proficiency. for me, right? Like, right. Yeah, I hate having phone calls with angry customers. I hate it. I'm pretty good at it, but it will ruin my entire day. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And so there was a guy that um, made a comment on a post that I'd made about this recently because this that that is a game changer. And he said, well, basically all you're doing is shifting your crap to somebody else. And I'm like, you could look at it that way, but believe it or not, there are actually people that the things that are draining your tank yes. are in somebody else's thrive column. Yes. They love to do that yes. for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, not all things, you know, if you're doing a toxic waste dump, you know, yep. like maybe not everybody, but there are some crazy people out there. You never know. <laughs> <There are. laughs> you just got to find them. You got to find them. Yeah. But if you, if you get really serious about asking your people, hey, you know what, really, let's talk about what makes you come alive. Now, these are the things that we got to do, but can we horse trade certain responsibilities among the team once you've gotten beyond you yourself and you, right. you know, on the on the enterprise. It, I agree with that because I, I've seen too many people that had money and time, but they were dying in their own business yep. because of the energy thing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You could have all the time in the world to be doing exactly what you hate. You know, and it's just, um, and again, I'm not, yeah. like, I do not have this all figured out. <laughs> I'm None so of far us from, do. I'm so far from it. Like, I'm still, you know, I'm going through a big, like, energy lull right now that I'm just like, you know, I think part of it is, like, I've gotten to this point in my business where, you know, I can take time to go work on other things that, or other other businesses or whatever. And, you know, it's just like, you know, right now I'm like, I'm suffering from a lack of energy and I, and it's just uh-huh. like, okay, well, why is that? You know? So it's been this big, and I, I used to feel, uh, you know, anyone who hasn't gotten coaching should get coaching. Cause I used to feel so much guilt about this. Like, you know, being in a family with such like hard, loyal workers and then working from an early age and killing myself about is always like, I, I told my coach, I was like, but if I didn't put in 50 hours this week, I could have done more. Right. Like that's not good enough. Well, why? Because there are other people who have got it figured out who are doing better than me, and I'm sure they're not. You know, <laughs> you got to let that go. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so I've just started to kind of be okay with like, hey, it's okay if I have a day where I work 15 minutes, because sometimes those days where you work 15 minutes, you get that like boom, brilliant yeah. aha moment yeah. while you're out mowing the lawn or something you know that you normally wouldn't have done otherwise that actually helps your team and helps yeah. your company that's why they're called shower thoughts right? yes it's exactly like, it's yeah. when you're not doing something that you have the breakthrough yes exactly yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah 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 so what's next as we start to wrap up paint the paint the vision of, of the next steps for you what <laughs> are things wrapping up already all right all right um i don't know what's next for me um my business is so infantile compared to where I would like it to go. Um, you know, we've got a lot of great things in place and great people in place, but I just feel like we could help so many more people Mm. and I've got to crack that nut and I've got to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it's been interesting because it can't be at the expense of time and energy. Mm. You know, Mm. um, I get to spend a lot of time, you know, my family's pretty young and I get to spend a lot of time with them and that's, you know, I've just learned that that's worth more than, than the others. 
Um, so that's been kind of the hard part is like, I have these ideas of like, Oh, maybe I should go do. And then I'm like, but I don't know how to do that without mm. working 50 hours a week. So I'm not going to go do that. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been interesting. So, you know, I don't know, real estate for sure is in my future. We're always investing, doing fun stuff there. Um, helping other property managers maybe now that I've been in it, I understand it. Mm. Um, I don't ever see myself stopping working, but it's like I, because of choice, you know, I like solving problems. I love doing, I love doing deals. I love meeting people. I love finding creative solutions. I love systems and technology and process. So I think that'll always be part of whatever I'm doing. So is it, I want to go back to something you said at the start of that though, is the, maybe I should go do this, but it's going to take 50 hours a week and it's, it's going to take up too much time. Is that your decision-making compass of, is it going to detract from time with family and time yeah. doing the things that I want to do? Is that a big I, part of your compass? I think there? so now. It didn't used to be, right? It was like, well, I'm, my, my, my mental model before was like, I'm not good enough mm. if I don't work hard enough right? mm-hmm. and put in enough time. And that's like, it sounds crazy. Like that sounds probably anyone listening is like, well, that's stupid. Um, but I think a lot of us probably operate that way on a subconscious level. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm lazy. I'm no good. I'm failing my family. I'm failing myself. And I still struggle with that all the time. But you know, maybe I'm, I'm kind of a lazy guy, but maybe it's lazy. I don't know. But like when I think about, Hey, if it's going to make me work past five o'clock, or even some days past three or on the weekends, or it's going to make me have to get up or like not be able to do random day dates with my wife or random, you know, my, I've had a four year old, so he's in preschool, but like, you know, we go out and do stuff sometimes in the middle of the week. If it's going to prevent me from doing that, then no, like maybe it can wait till a different season Mm -hmm. or when I have more energy that I'm okay doing that. But right now at this stage in life, it's like, okay, well it could mean, more money or more whatever, but you know, I don't, that's, that's not really what I want. Yeah. No, yeah. I love that. Right. The self-awareness there is massive. Yeah. Right. How many people get in a business, put their head down and just keep going. And you've been able to take that step back and make those decisions. Like, okay, is this worth the sacrifices that I'm going to make? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's the right season. Other times it's not. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. You make it sound way cooler than, you know, I feel, I feel, <laughs> Yeah. You're, uh, well, you're, you're so hard on yourself. You you're know, living so. it every day. Yeah, right? yeah. So, you're yeah. like, oh, I just got the case of the lazies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll spin anything. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's very. Yeah, let's go with your version. Your version sounds way better. Yeah, it's funny. I I don't see you as lazy at all. Oh, um, I really don't. But this this comparison thing is a real trap that we have to be mm, careful. Yeah. On. Like because you. You, I think, have articulated pretty clearly what your priorities are, and it's about priority management, not time management. And it's yeah. not in trying to keep up with Grant Cardone or yeah. whomever. Like, so that great, but I know plenty of people that their Instagram reels look really good, and their behind the scenes reels are freaking train wrecks. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much money, you know, ask them how many wives they've been through. Yeah. Uh, ask them if their kids like them, you know, what do they think of them, you know, ask them what their employees think of them. You know, I mean, then you start peeling back the onion, start smelling a little bit. So, you know, I just, I I like your 
authenticity about, you know, the journey, which is why we do these podcasts, you know, I mean, because whether you're an entrepreneur listening to this or you're stuck in corporate America or you are retired or you, you love your life, these stories of people like you are interesting because everybody's unique. Yeah. Everybody has a unique journey. Everybody has a unique story, but not everybody is willing to tell the story. Yeah, the authentic story. I'm an open book, the, man. I'll tell you yeah, all the, you know. It's right. like my wife and I. Like when people first got married, we're like, all right, let's, we're going to tell you how it's really going to be. The first year is going to suck. It's going to be terrible. You know, like the same with kids. Like, hey, now you got a kid. Let me tell you how it really is. They're going to scream at you. I don't love you in the middle of the night. They're going to, you know, it's like, <laughs> and we'll just tell you how it is. You know, yep. yeah, that's yeah. no, great. Yeah. Well, especially with the the hustle culture now, of you have to put in more hours, and oh, your yeah. your self worth is tied to that. Yes. So yes. somebody like yourself coming on and talking about the opposite of that and breaking away from that. Yeah. There's going to be people listening that that's going to empower them to shift their mindset around, I th- and that's the value. Yeah, and I think the really hard the other lesson I'm working really hard to still learn. Um, again, that my coach gave me, she's like, you got to stop judging your inside. By other people's outside, yes. And I'm well like, said. I'm well like, said. damn, yeah. that's good, you know. And it, I mean, I still struggle, mm-hmm. but just being aware that that's a thing we do as people, and that it probably is not like you, you know. And you do, you think about it. You think about like any idyllic, like famous entrepreneur you've heard of, and then like really think about it and be like, like you said, Gary, like, what marriage are you on? You know, yeah. Are your children trying to sue you? Right. Um, yeah. All these things, you're like, huh, maybe there are some clues there. The, <laughs> maybe it's not all it's cracked Probably up. the most interesting comparison is Tom from MySpace. Do you remember that guy? The one that started, uh, yeah. he was yeah. on everybody's top eight. And then Zuckerberg. Yeah. And you look at the, the lives that each of them have lived, and it's polarizing. Of hmm. Tom figured out what he wanted his life to live. He got other people in place. He eventually sold. Now he just travels the world and got into photography and ex- does experiences. And then Zuckerberg's going in front of Congress. Yeah. And it's like the need for more, more, more Yeah, led Zuckerberg to a life that he probably wasn't setting out to live of trying to convince yeah. Congress that his company was okay. Yeah. And then Tom does his social media company and now he's off just enjoying life doing side quests yeah it's just that comparison is so different yeah yeah it is and you got to figure out you know there's no judgment like you just got to figure out what's right for you i think yeah i think that's right truth yep. be honest with yourself and yeah 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 makes sense anything else great no this has been fun um i even though i felt like i knew a lot of your story i learned new <laughs> things <laughs> which is always it. the case which is fun mm-hmm. but you you brought up a lot of great things that i hope anybody listening to this resonates with and can that could be a game changer for them yeah 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 i'm sure thanks so much for coming on any place that you want people to to go to to check you out or the company or anything uh yeah sunin.com it's the name of our company um spell it s-u-n-n-o-n there you go there you go um and uh you know, I'm not really on social media because I think it's a suck into comparisons. <laughs> yeah. It's not healthy for me. So yeah. um, if you try to reach out, I probably will think you're spam. But, <laughs> um, you know, shoot us a line or something if you want. Um, info at senna.com is our email. I give that one because my team will help prioritize things for me and keep, you know, 
things clear, but uh, if anyone wants to chat, happy to chat. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you're looking for Chris Claflin Enterprises, you won't find him. No, uh-uh. <laughs> Not even, like our trust name, our, our, my wife and I set up a trust recently and we're like, we can't even have our names in the trust name, you know? So it's like, you know, we just like the, you know, this the anonymity. Except for your Lowe's parking space. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah That's yeah, kind of yeah. cool. Well, that's, you know, I wish. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, guys.